This is Ed Dowd. I'm with Finance Technologies, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. But as always, I'm your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I hope you've been listening to the show recently, especially the Friday Night Live broadcast. We've had a great lineup of guests and we have some great guests scheduled for this coming Friday as well, including Lieutenant Governor of the State of Virginia, Winston Sears. Hopefully, <clears throat> everything will go off without a hitch, and we'll have very interesting conversations there, as well as in the second hour, an extended conversation with the founder of Patriot Music dot com mr matt fitzgibbons and we're going to be talking about the current movement within the music world as a form of protest once again only it no longer seems to be the left that's pushing the protest now it seems that more conservative minded ideologies have become 
the counterculture. And I put it like that because we're talking about some people that still aren't necessarily conservatives. In fact, some of these folks are kind of upset that it's being used uh, as uh, weaponization, I guess is as good a term as any, uh, in the political world. They're upset that their material is being aligned with one group over another when you seem to be missing the whole point that most of the messaging is actually directed at class. And that's been part of my concern about a certain very popular song that you know as the Richmond, North of Richmond, uh, that if you aren't particularly aligned one way or the other, what you could actually hear is a populist socialist call to revolt, as opposed to, hey, they're just against all the Democrats currently in charge. Now, that's not the message there. A lot of people wanted to hear that, and they thought that they were catching that when they heard everyone on the left suddenly try to discredit the, this guy and try to take down his song. Only, he's not the only one. He's just the most recent one making a lot of waves. And we'll be taking a look at some other songs and some other fake controversies, some of which we've actually already talked about. But I'm going to talk about it with Matt Fitzgibbons, who has a unique perspective as well, being a music insider. So uh, it should be an interesting conversation. Be sure to tune in. Those are not the only guests for this coming Friday, by the way. So uh, tune in and uh, hear the rest. And if you were listening to Friday night's show, then you've already heard the rest of the lineup. So uh, be sure to, to come back and check. Now, if you heard last Friday's show, you also heard me talk about Just a Smidge, a story that I didn't get a chance to get into. I think you're going to hear a whole lot more about this story now than you did back in January because there's a lawsuit, there was an update. But before we start talking about that, I need to talk to you just a minute about our friends over at 4Patriots. Right now, summertime is just about to transition back into fall. We are getting to that point. We're still in some of the hottest days of the year, but as those transitions happen, we see more and more storms. We've got tropical storms at this very moment forming close to the Gulf, threatening Florida. We will see all kinds of weird and crazy things coming up because that's what we see this time of year. It's regular. It's normal. It's not climate change. It's weather. And it's not all that uncommon, but you still see unique things each and every year. Something's different. And that's what the left likes to pounce on because they want to control you through panic and fear. Well, you know how you don't have to fall for it, how you don't have to listen to them at all? And that is to be self-sufficient. And as I've said a multitude of times in the past, the only way to truly enjoy the true blessings of individual liberty is to be individually responsible. And part of being individually responsible is to be self-sufficient. Our friends over at 4Patriots can go a very long way towards helping you to make sure that you are indeed self-sufficient. Whether we're talking about emergency supply survival food kits or backup electricity in the event that the power grid is down for an extended period of time. And what really works to your advantage there is they have solar options that will allow you to keep what you have to keep going, going, and you can keep getting it recharged. You don't have to rely 
on gas-powered generators that A, make an awful lot of noise, B, do rely on gas, therefore can lead to carbon monoxide poisoning if you don't have everything set up just right, and uh, also could mean that if the grid's down for a long time, you're not going to be able to resupply your fuel. So eventually the gas-run generators kind of become a moot point. Solar power, however, can help you to avoid that. You can run a good balance. Granted, the, the gas power generators are a bigger solution and, and a lot of situations will, will do you a lot of good, but there are advantages to what Four Patriots has to offer as well. That's what you need to keep in mind. And as I always say at the end of each and every show, don't take my word for it. Here's your chance to go see for yourself. Visit them over at fourpatriots.com. See what they have to offer. And when you start filling up your shopping cart, which you're probably going to do, when you start seeing the cool stuff they've got available and things that you know you need, even if you've been putting off getting it, as you start filling it up, don't forget at checkout to use promo code TAP. That's T-A-P-P. Get yourself 10% off after all, in the age of Bidenomics, who can afford not to take advantage of some savings? That's all I'm saying. The number four, Patriots.com. Use promo code TAP at checkout. Uh, don't hesitate. Don't put it off. Given where we're at right now, life's going to throw some more curveballs at us. Be prepared. All right, so I did mention this some Friday. Didn't get a chance to get into it very deeply because we had a pretty heavy schedule of guests coming on. And one of the things I dislike about scheduling guests well in advance is the fact that sometimes the topics change so drastically we don't get to talk about breaking news. Sometimes topics that I really want to talk about on a given Friday in particular has to go by the wayside because we've already been locked into a conversation. You know, when I first got into doing a talk show, some of the things that I always wondered about is why did it sometimes feel like the hosts were so far behind the actual news cycle? As I've gotten into doing this, I've come to realize if you schedule guests, you try to schedule them far enough in advance that it works to their schedules and everything works out fine. That's been part of the issue. And then other occasions, sometimes it's better to wait and to make sure you have your facts straight rather than to jump into certain stories. So that's the explanations. I now know. I now understand. Uh, as I've said before, I also used to wonder why so many hosts focused on so many of the same stories, why there seemed to be a group of stories that was all they wanted to talk about. And I, I come to realize that part of that is yes, because that's what is generally attracting the attention of the normal listening audience, especially if you're typically a conservative, you want to hear this story, this story, this story. If you're typically a more progressive individual, you want to hear this story, that story, that story. But there's more than that going on when you're on the conservative side of it. That's why you're more often more likely to hear a wider variety of stuff if you're listening to a more left-leaning program. They don't have the same problem that conservative outlets have. We keep repeating the same stories because we're all desperately trying to break through the crack in the wall that's been established by the mainstream legacy media. 
We have a certain group of people that are going to hear us, and we know that we're preaching to the choir in those moments. But we do this not just to preach to the choir, but also hoping that some of the message will get through. We'll at least get to the folks that are dead center and slightly left of center. Those are the folks that very often don't get to hear these stories. And one of the worst stories of this year, and we were talking about it back in January, is the story of Sage. I spent a good chunk of time, and you could tell I was pretty emotional about it when I was going through the story because I wasn't able to stay focused. My anger kept getting in the way. And if you listen to it, you'll hear it. I'm going to probably spend more time on it here today than I ordinarily would. But it has a lot to do with the fact that the mother involved in the story has now filed a lawsuit. And in the effort of filing the lawsuit, the story of Sage becomes even worse because there are more details coming out. We talked about, at that point in time, how the officials in the state of Maryland actively worked to try and keep this transgender identifying runaway girl from Virginia in their custody, rather than return her, they tried to put trans identification politics ahead of parental rights. Now, we know that parental rights have been under assault by the left for a while now. We know that because we see stories about it all the time. We've especially seen how far things had gone in the state of Virginia. It literally led to a red revolution in the ballot box. We saw people like Glenn Youngkin move to prominence in Virginia, thanks largely due to the parents in Virginia finding out what was going on in the public schools. Loudoun County in particular really opened a lot of eyes. And as I've been saying, every single broadcast that we talk about a semi-quasi-related story that everything that you're hearing that happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, that's happened in Ohio, that's happened in Indiana, that's happened in Illinois, that's happened in California, I kept making the point that it's been happening everywhere across the country. And I need you to keep that in mind. You need to remember that this is something that is going on all across the country in every state of the union and it doesn't matter if it's red or blue or purple what matters is the fact that most school boards are still controlled by people that lean at the very least to the left these are people that have deemed themselves to be educational professionals these are people that have deemed themselves to know better than the parents we have and I've mentioned this several times recently, but I've said it a few times further back. I think we need to continue to push this point as well. We have lived a time. Everyone that is at least 40 at this point in their lives have lived through the time frame when teachers were Desperate to have parents be part of their child's school activities, to be engaged with classroom activities, to be involved at a personal level, not just on the peripheral, but being directly involved and come into the classroom, spend some time with them, volunteer, help, whatever it is they could do. They were begging parents to do this at one point. We saw this for ourselves. 
and we've seen them transition away from we want you to be here to now we don't want you to have anything to do with what's going on in these classrooms because you as the parent, have not yet recognized their superiority to raise your child, their superiority to have control over what your child should do and what they should think. We haven't evolved to the point that we just understand that the state knows best. They've convinced themselves that that's the reality. They've convinced themselves that they've got a blank check and that we're just supposed to sign it and, and hand it over to them. That they can say and do and teach whatever, however they choose to do it. And that we don't have a right to question them because we're not educational professionals. We've seen this. Well, this story, this story makes it even worse. Again, I, I heavily invite you to go back near the end of January, go into the archives, because I didn't hear this story being told very many other places. I don't know that it even got mentioned. Thankfully, I'm seeing now that the lawsuits coming forward and some of the even worse details are being made public, there seem to be a lot of, uh, of media outlets, although still only conservative as far as I can tell, but there seems to be a lot more media outlets picking up the story and delving into it. So again, Pay attention to the story. It's important. The mother of a teenage girl who, at the age of 14, fell into the hands of sex traffickers is suing the Virginia school district that she blames for her daughter's trauma and the government lawyer who interfered with her efforts to return the girl home. Now, again, remember... What we knew before was the efforts of individuals that were acting within Maryland. She's now suing Virginia school district officials because, as it turns out, there was collusion. As it turns out, the Virginia school systems of which the, her child attended were also heavily involved and have a lot of culpability. Officials at Appomattox County Public School concealed Sage Blair's gender transition from her parents and hid the fact that she was being bullied over dressing like a boy. This, according to the lawsuit. A lawsuit that was filed in federal court this past Tuesday by Michelle Blair. The events and secrecy led to Sage running away from her rural Virginia home only to be captured by a sex trafficker and taken to Baltimore, Maryland, where she was held in a locked room and raped by multiple men. That much of the story we knew before. She was engaging online with somebody that she thought was a 15-year-old skater. Thought she was going to go meet somebody that was just a little bit older than she was so they could just go hang out. She was a victim. But evidently, she felt so isolated because she was allowed to do this transition thing secretly at school and felt like she had to maintain the secrecy. This opened her up. So she was actually being set up to be groomed and to be a victim by the officials at the Virginia school. 
Now, again, if you don't remember the story and if you haven't heard anything about this, listen carefully because this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the very beginning of how bad things got for Sage. The girl saga didn't end at this point. It was just beginning. When the FBI, the FBI is actually who found her, recovered her in Maryland, a Baltimore public defender named Khan, one of the other targets of the lawsuit, worked to keep the girl in Maryland until her parents accepted her gender transition. Now, the mother had not refused to accept her child's transition because she didn't know about the child's transition. It was kept secret by the school, and the daughter had never told them. But did that matter to Miss Khan? No, no, no. She threw away the letters that Michelle Blair was sending to her daughter and led the girl to believe that she had been abandoned by her parents. You get this? She was being kept in Maryland, under the direction of Khan, who then had notified the parents, but then refused to forward the letters from Michelle Blair that was being sent. The 14-year-old rape victim was put in a Baltimore group home with teenage boys, a group home for troubled youth. It was a boy's home. She is still physically a teenage girl. She still, regardless of how she identified, had the biology. She had just come away from being raped in a locked room by a sex trafficker, and now she's locked up with troubled youth, teenage boys. So here she is, put away in this group home, told by Khan that her parents no longer wanted her, and that the that Khan herself was going to arrange for her to live with a family in Maryland who would affirm her as a boy. This was something that she was going to do, but I'm sorry you have to stay in this home for troubled youth until we can do that. Even after a judge said that it would be illegal under the Interstate Compact on Juveniles, to refuse to return the girl to her home in Virginia, the girl remained in Baltimore while Khan appealed. She was only returned to her Virginia home after she ran away from the Maryland facilities and was abducted by a man who took her to Texas, where she was once again raped and tortured, forced into sexual trafficking. Now, these are, this, again, is part of the details that we talked about back in January. But again, the fact that Khan had literally been told by a judge, uh, no, give the kid back, that part of the detail, that wasn't involved in the stories before. So now we find out that. We found out that she ran away, ended up in Texas. Thankfully... And again, this is part of the story we did talk about before. Thankfully, officials in Texas promptly returned her to her parents. Khan went to great lengths to keep Sage in Maryland. After the judge stated that there were no grounds to keep her from home, Khan enlisted two counselors from the Appomattox School to accuse Michelle Blair of 
child abuse in Virginia, an attempt to get her child taken away from her, even though none of them had ever spoken to Michelle. So you see what's happening here? Khan is so dedicated to letting this girl be a boy that she's willing to try to ruin the lives of the parents. She tried to employ help from two counselors who had never spoke to Michelle, Michelle being the mother. Important to remember, we did talk about this before, Michelle was herself a certified foster home volunteer who had been extensively vetted, and Appomattox deemed the charges unsubstantiated. They said, uh, no, sorry, we really can't do anything with this because it seems like a bunch of crap. Now, Melissa Rothstein, I'm sorry, Melissa Rothstein, a spokeswoman for the Maryland Office of the Public Defender, whose email signature includes her pronouns, by the way. She did return a request for comments, but uh, only to express her concern for the safety of the lawyer, Khan. She wouldn't comment on what Khan had done, only the fact that, oh, by the way, now we're afraid that... Uh, Miss Khan seems to be in a bit of a spot. There seems to be some people angry with her. There seems to be some people that are threatening her. It seems like some threats are actually appropriate in this situation, and I'm not condoning actually taking action to do it when I say that, but I am saying that righteous anger is an appropriate response. Informing someone of the risk they're taking when they decide to get so involved with trying to destroy someone's life over your own political ideologies, over your own effort to get involved in someone's life that you have no business being involved with, the fact that there might be consequences that go beyond the judicial, that seems like a fair thing to remind people of. Just, just making a point. Stating, we remain concerned for her safety and caution against including personal identifying information or photos which could reignite and expand these threats. Really, you're worried about her well-being. What about what she did? What about what happened to Sage, also known as Draco? What about what happened to her? What about the gross negligence? What about the effort to create false charges of child abuse? Pretty sure that's actually against the law, as well as your effort to keep her from being returned to her home in the first place, as has been stated by a judge. Pretty sure that is, in fact, against the law. What happens when a lawyer breaks the law? Pretty sure they're supposed to be disbarred. Pretty sure they're supposed to face legal consequences, like every other citizen in the country should. Obviously, if you're connected well enough, or if you're on the right side of the political divide, it, and by this I mean the left side of the political divide, you seem to be free from concerns of legal consequences. School board members in the conservative area of rural Virginia, including the school board chair, Bobby Waddell, and the vice chair, Wyatt Torrance, 
They failed to respond to requests for comments in the case by multiple news outlets as of the time I'm talking to you. The board's not yet adopted Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin's model policies on ensuring privacy, dignity, and respect for all students, uh, a policy that's being put forth for all Virginia public schools, and a policy that we talked about just last week because the Biden administration has decided they're going to try and stick their nose in this and try to keep this from happening. They seem to think that parental rights being exercised might lead to, you know, hate crimes. At least that's the excuse they're using to try and elbow their way in in a most unconstitutional fashion. Not that we expect anything different or anything better from the Biden administration. The thing is about this particular policy, the model policies... They would bar schools from transitioning students without parents' approval. Though they discussed them, back in August 17, the school board hasn't passed them. They still seem to be holding on to this idea that somehow they have to try and protect the trans students. Well, guess what? The trans students don't need to be protected from their parents. If they do... That's a whole different thing. And th that protection is only necessary if they're in physical harm. If they're under threat of physical harm, then maybe they need to be protected. But if it's just a matter of the parents aren't going to like what they're being told and there's going to be words, then guess what? If it's not physical harm that's being perpetrated, the state and any of its agents has no business being involved. None. Not a, no matter how you feel about it. Like, oh, they're being so mean to that child. Oh, they're bullying that child. Oh, they're parenting. And you don't have to like how they're parenting. You just have to accept that parental rights are what they are. And you only have a right to intervene as an outsider if the child is under threat of physical harm. You can make arguments about emotional harm all you want to. That's not really something that you have a right to get involved with. And you're creating a bad situation. You can't ignore the rights of the parents as much as these folks want to. Now, the superintendent, Bennett, they didn't return requests for comments either. A request for comments on behalf of herself or counselors, Olson and Vaya who are also named in the lawsuit, didn't want to talk about it at all. Now, back in January, Virginia State Republican lawmakers introduced what's called Sage's Law, and that was the tripping point for me eventually talking about this on the show back in January. This law, which would bar counselors from hiding a student's gender transition from her parents, blocked counselors from encouraging children to keep secrets from their parents, and ensuring that laws on child abuse cannot be interpreted as including parents who don't affirm a child's gender transition. Now, the Republican-led House at that time passed the law, but unfortunately in Virginia, the Democrats still held control of the Senate, and they killed it. So Sage's law did not go into effect then. This particular lawsuit, it seeks to, quote, recover damages for 
torturous interference with the parent-child relationship, conspiracy, intentional infliction of emotional distress, professional malpractice, and other rights under Virginia law. Personally, I don't think they've gone quite far enough. This was a case that deprived of her parents' care and treatment as a result, I'm quoting here, by the way, deprived of her parents' care and treatment as a result of Appomattox defendant's conduct. SB feared continuing harassment and assaults at school and threats from schoolmates to pursue SB and her family at home and ran away. She was found by an adult male who kidnapped SB, drugged, and violently raped her in the back seat of his car. It was this man that she lost her virginity to. He then drove her to Washington, D.C., and left her with two men who raped and drugged her again. These two men drove her to Maryland and left her with a registered sex offender. He kept SB in a locked room after raping her and trafficking her to other men. All this is in the lawsuit. The lawsuit says that the school not only hid the girl's gender transition from her parents, but encouraged it. Counselors summoned Sage to discuss her gender eight times during the first 12 days of the 2021-2022 school year. The suit also alleges that the counselors were providing major psychiatric care that they were not qualified or authorized to perform. Quoting again, in these sessions, Miss Olson encouraged SB to embrace her male identity. Mr. Via also directed SB to internet sites, apps, and social media networks that promoted transgender ideas, indicating that she could find friends there. The suit also says uh, that there was evidence that the counselors did not even review her file, showing existing mental health issues. They didn't do any of that before encouraging her to live as a boy, and that they did not initiate uh, Title IX investigations, as required when she was harassed at school. Nope, they just tried to transition her. They thought that's what they ought to do. The girl realized after her traumatic experience that she was never a boy. Speaking to the Federalist, Michelle said, quote, I don't know who, I didn't know who I was. This is, she's telling the story of what Sage told her, I didn't know who I was. I am a totally different person now. I never was a boy. Everybody was doing it. I just wanted to have friends. Now, the lawsuit, it charges Khan for failing to act in the best interest of her client. That seems like a fair assessment. As SB's attorney... Miss Khan had an obligation to act in the best interest of her client, whom she knew to be a citizen and resident of Virginia, living with parents in Virginia, and who was present in Maryland only as the result of being sex trafficked across state lines. 
this goes beyond being criminal. This is once again the left so desperate to push the agenda, to push their own beliefs, and to put it ahead of every legitimate protected right in this country. That this lawsuit, it's abhorrent that it has to be filed. There should have been so much legal action taken by the state of Maryland against this public defender, Khan. And her actions in the first place. As soon as she first reached out to counselors, not to find evidence of child abuse, but to try to create false narrative of child abuse with someone who was an upstanding citizen within the family. Someone who was an upstanding citizen within their community had been all through all the certifications to be a foster parent. Somebody who had been involved with the school system in the past, someone who was, in fact, an ideal person for you to entrust a child with according to every known parameter that exists. And yet, because she had not fully accepted the transition that she knew nothing about, See, that is the other aspect here that we didn't know before. The school had hit it. The school was actively involved with hiding this, with promoting it to somebody who needed the help of counselors, but who needed counselors to actually look at her file and see what was actually going on rather than just jump to a conclusion. Rather than just make an assertion, rather than to then say, well, you know, um, you, you need to just go be a boy now. It's okay. We, we like that kind of thing. They never put Sage's best interest first. And that's been the most tragic part of this whole argument and discussion. People want to call me a transphobe just because I speak up against this kind of action. And they want to completely ignore and give a pass to all the bad actors that are involved. I'm outraged that this story is a true story. I'm outraged that a officer of the court in the state of Maryland tried to create false charges against someone that was actually an upstanding citizen otherwise. Just to try and promote the agenda that put that child in harm's way until she escaped that home, ran away again, and again ended up in the hands of sex traffickers. None of which this attorney takes any responsibility for, and the people that are supposed to be overseen, that are supposed to be putting some type of punishment, having some type of accountability on Miss Khan, they're too busy issuing statements trying to protect her because of a series of threats. Where's the basic fundamental right and wrong reaction in this story? Where is the accountability? Michelle in this, this story, Michelle now has to 
to go to court, and she has to sue them in civil court because the justice system still hasn't moved forward with anything when clearly laws were violated, at the very least, by Ms. Kant. Now, officials in Maryland did take steps against those that trafficked sage, and law officials in Texas took actions against the people that trafficked her there. But the attorney, Khan, she did commit crimes. Where is her atonement coming from? Where is her criminal accountability being held? Where is the outcry for justice for Sage? Now that Sage no longer claims to be trans, is there no interest in anyone from the left standing up for her? Is this just one of those stories that makes the, the movement look bad, that makes the, the fight for trans rights look bad, so we want to try and sweep it up under the rug as quickly as we can? We don't want to acknowledge that mistakes are made. We don't want people to hear the other side of the story, because we see that with every single detransitioner story that's out there. We see pressure put on by groups calling them transphobes. They tried to live the trans life and they figured out that wasn't the right thing. When you turn 18, you can pursue these treatments on your own. By that point in time, hopefully you've lived enough, you've garnered enough life experience to have an idea of what it is you need to do. You have every legal right. But until you turn 18, there should be no effort put on you, no pressure put on you to surgically transition or to chemically transition. You want to dress differently and act differently? Well, as long as the community and your family is willing to do whatever, that's on you. But it is life-altering what occurs when you pursue the medical aspects of a transition. It is a surgical mutilation. It is chemical... This chemical castrations, surgical mutilations, it is things that some of which if you go through with, you must continue to get treatment for the remainder of your life. There is no escape from it. You should at least be an adult before you take those steps. And I would firmly advise you to wait until your mid-twenties before doing it so that you really know if you are someone that is legitimately suffering from gender dysphoria, <clears throat> you need to get to the point where the average person that actually suffers from it reaches that point where they can decide if that is the next stage. Because gender dysphoria normally works itself out. Statistically speaking, this is a truth that doesn't change, but it is a truth that the people on the left don't want you to know. And it's a truth that so-called activists will again say that I'm a transphobe for trying to tell you that most people that genuinely suffer from gender dysphoria 
outgrow it as they get through puberty. And the few that don't then still normally get past it before the end of their 23rd birthday. It is just a reality. But then again, the people that are pushing this and trying to push children into it before they have a chance to decide for themselves, they're not dealing in realities. They're dealing with fantasies and they're dealing with notions that they can be a more godly figure. They're playing with the false narrative that they are so much smarter and so much better than the rest of us that common sense escapes them. And that reality, when it smacks them square in the face, still must be ignored if it doesn't stand up and back up their particular viewpoint. If it's not a case of confirmation, uh, of bias confirmation, then it's not real. It's fake news. They don't understand how many lives are literally being destroyed by their efforts because in their mind, the means, well, they're justified by the ends. They're justified by accomplishing the goal and their work is done once the gold is accomplished and cleaning up the mess made from the aftermath, not their problem. Before this story made me angry enough that I devoted the biggest part of an hour talking about it. And I'm looking at the clock and it looks like I've done that again. But it's these new details, the new bits of information that have come out that have making me angry enough to want to do that again. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Why would this be allowed to happen? Why is this attorney con not already in a jail somewhere? Oh no, well you see she was just trying to protect that's some grade A bovine excrement. And I'm going to have to change the subject now, or I'm going to keep going the whole time and not get to any of the other stories I've got going on to, today. So real quick, let me remind you about our friends over at Vanish Holster. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes that we often make as gun owners when we're trying to carry is we will purchase a holster that is just so gosh darn uncomfortable we stop carrying, and that's a bad thing. Uh, quickest, surest path to tyranny is to give up your guns and the fastest way to become a victim of violent crime is to not have yours when you need it. Vanish Holsters is designed to work with almost all semi-automatic handguns. It's designed to carry two additional magazines, designed to work without a tactical belt, and to allow you to carry in multiple positions. They have thousands of customers that will swear to the fact that it's the most comfortable holster ever, and that if you start using a Vanish Holster, you'll never stop carrying. But hey, don't take my word for it. And don't even take the word of those thousands of customers. Instead, go become one of those thousands of customers and find out for yourself. Do that by visiting www.vnsh.com backslash T-A-P-P. Very important to use the backslash T-A-P-P. Automatically activates for you a $50 discount at least until the end of August, uh, meaning that time is kind of starting to run out on that now for now. Uh, I am trying to to nudge the uh, folks 
into extending that discount a bit further. But they've already extended it twice. I don't know how many more times they'll be willing to. So if you've just been hesitating, you haven't taken advantage of it yet, but you're hoping to, don't procrastinate very much longer. Go take care of it sooner rather than later. You really need to do it. Uh, it's great stuff. And in the age of Bidenomics, who can afford not to save money? Okay. So again, www.vnsh.com backslash T-A-P-P. Save yourself $50 and uh, stay with us as we come back on the other side of this break. Hey, y'all, this is Derek Johnson. You can find me at DerekJohnsonCountry.com. And you're listening to Tim Tap and Tapping Through the Truth. She's hair pulled back in a camo cap with a catfish on the line. She's an evening gown, night on the town, candlelight and wine. She's shy, she's bold, she's like a nice cold fireball whiskey shot. She's a big high five on the 50-yard line. She's a real cool kind of hot. With her long hair's blowing out a roll-down window, my old truck shines like a brand-new limo. I'm the guy with the big old smile and all the selfie shots. She's like an August day when you're bailing hay in that lemonade hits the spot. She's fun and free, lets me be me. She's a real cool kind of hot. Yeah, real cool kind of hot. As government elitists conjure up their evil plots and plans to put us back on lockdowns, many brave souls are saying, No way, Jose. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's Space from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Lawmakers in Florida recently announced they have decided via legislation to outlaw coronavirus 19 shots. That's according to SGT News Network. The Brevard Republican Executive Committee has urged presidential contender Ron DeSantis to please sign the legislation. The Florida lawmakers considers the coronavirus shots to be bioweapons. After learning the ingredients of the shots, I tend to agree. The Florida lawmakers also noted that shots are simply hazardous to human health. You know what else is hazardous to human health? Wearing masks at airports and on long flights in stores or anywhere else for that matter. The only thing that masks achieve are making people unhealthy from breathing back in their own carbon monoxide, creating a sense of isolation, and protecting criminals from identification. We the people are obligated to stand together and say nope to any lockdowns and mask mandates, because if we don't stand against such madness, we will merely exist in utter misery. I'm Ron Edwards. These stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. The challenge we all have is that as you work and you grow in your career, you have to put something aside for yourself when you retire around 65 years old. And the idea of Beanstalks is to simplify that whole process. In other words, Put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks 
which gives you diversification. That's the whole key. The idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly, but the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. When I invented my pillow, my passion was to help each and every one of you. And 20 years later, all of your support is what keeps us going. Because of you, we've been able to create thousands of USA jobs and help millions get the best sleep ever. To thank you, my employees and I are bringing you a limited edition my pillow. The Giza Elegance My Pillow is made with my patented adjustable fill, the most amazing cotton, and a two-inch pipe gusset. It has four custom loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and you get my 60-day money-back guarantee and 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code TAPP or call 1-800-659-9936. That's MyPillow.com with promo code TAPP. Use your promo code to get your limited edition 20th anniversary MyPillow queen size. Retails for $69.98, now only $19.98. That's right, get a queen size MyPillow for only $19.98. From all of us here at MyPillow... Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to BlueEdgeCoffeeCrafters.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 10% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made Damn you, Introducing Einstock. Drink. Conquer. Repeat. Skull. Einstock beer is a globally distributed, award-winning Icelandic craft beer. Einstock is created from the Icelandic water that flows from glaciers through lava fields and delivers some of the purest water on Earth. Knowing that beer is 95% water, we source the first and most vital ingredient from the local springs of a mountain that stands guard over the town of Akuari, just 60 miles south of the Arctic Circle. Einstock beer is crafted with locally sourced ingredients, and the brewery runs from the 100% renewable energy sources, geothermal and hydropower. Einstock has become the number one craft beer and also the number one alcohol export from Iceland. 
Here in the United States, you can find Einstock beer on the shelves at retail chains like ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Bemmo, Cost Plus World Market, HEB in Texas, Kroger, Publix, Target, Total Wine, Trader Joe's, and Whole Foods, just to name a few. So won't you raise a glass and drink, conquer, repeat, skull. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so much for staying with me through that break and hanging out with me as I babbled for the biggest part of an hour about this story, but it just really gets under my skin. Now, the upside of the Sunday show is it's the few shows that um, typically aren't rebroadcast anywhere. It's podcast only, essentially, at least at this point. So I don't have to adhere to the tight scheduling that's involved otherwise in order to make everything flow like what we do for the Friday night show, uh, which is also broadcast uh, on, of course, uh, the uh, ZMA radio network and uh, uh, K-Star talk radio network, as well as Liberty Talk FM and uh, WCET in Columbia, South Carolina, and then uh, the last frequency and on the Vera networks and as an extension of those organizations, you'll get to hear us on uh, Talk Stream Live and Right Talk and Irish Radio. So, you know, those have to be a bit tighter. And even the Tuesday show that's typically rebroadcast on all of the Vera networks, uh, I have to be concerned about the timing because it has to fit into their formats as well. But the Sunday show, it only gets rebroadcast if for some reason I don't get to make a Tuesday show. So typically, I can be a little more, you know, loosey-goosey. And so I'm not going to to hurry this next section just to make it fit in the first hour. Because in the first hour, at this point, I literally have less than two minutes. But I definitely wanted to talk to you in this hour before we transitioned into the rebranding of ESG. Something that you need to be aware of, you need to be watching for it, because there is a popular alternative that has started being pushed. Now, since 2006, a nonprofit network known as B-Lab has been growing internationally in places like Australia, East Africa, mainland Europe, and North and South America. B-Lab claims to be working towards, quote, transforming the global economy to benefit all people, communities, and the planet. That uh, sound familiar to you, any at all? At any rate, their stated goals should sound like an overplayed pop song. 
the B-Labs UK website, says that they seek to affect economic systems to change to support their collective vision of an inclusive, equitable, and what they call a regenerative economy. Their purpose is to redefine success in business by building a community of engaged businesses. The goal is to shift the global economy from a system that profits few to one that benefits all, advancing a, a new model that moves from concentrating wealth and power to ensuring equity from extraction to generation and from prioritizing individualism to embracing interdependence. And they have a special definition for that. But I'm not going to go into that special definition here with you now. However, I would invite you to uh, come visit the Tap Into the Truth Locals community and read the article that I wrote about this. Uh, it also appears on Your News, but for some reason, some of the some typos got included uh, in the Your News, and I haven't been able to get those uh, edited for some reason. Anyway, uh, I'll continue. Over the course of the last decade plus, we have seen the efforts of conservative voices sounding the alarm about ESG scoring and how it was being used to pressure private businesses to ignore their fiduciary responsibilities in the name of the woke agenda. Companies like BlackRock used environmental, social, and governance scoring standards to evaluate a company's attractiveness in what is often referred to in their circles as ethical investing. They also used their proxy votes gained by acquiring sizable stakes in publicly traded companies to change board members to manipulate the focus of a company away from the bottom line to the change that the global political left is pushing. The idea has always been that private business rather than government regulation would make the changes look like a normal social evolution rather than an elitist control of the masses. Those efforts to raise awareness of ESG in action, along with missteps by companies like Bud Light and Target, have finally started affecting the business world. We've begun to see states refuse to use BlackRock and other companies with similar agendas to invest state-funded pension funds, just as an example. We've watched as sizable companies have started moving away from DEI programs that they had in place. DEI programs are, of course, designed to improve ESG scores while moving hiring practices away from merit-based decisions to create a higher level of representation of minority groups. The pushback against what may have begun as a well-meaning idea, although I think you and I know better, uh, the, the pushback against what may have been well-meaning ideas, however, but ended up in practice being a tool of anti-white and in some cases anti-Asian racism, uh, and the means to attract capitalism has gained enough traction now to make the ESG catchphrase 
a less attractive acronym to see on your company's website and investment prospectus. It's starting to fall out of favor, at least in certain applications. Now, if you're a leftist among leftists, you're still perfectly happy with ESG scoring. You're still perfectly happy with trying to push this idea, this notion that ESG is it's the wave of the future. It's the only way to ensure we have a future. But if you're trying to decide who you're going to have investing in your company, there are a lot of folks that have finally started waking up to the fact of what DEI and ESG really means. If that's your primary focus, you're moving away from merit-based decisions and away from profit-making decisions, and you've moved into the realm of leftist utopian dreamscapes. At any rate, the global political left has worked way too long and hard to create the ESG framework, so they're not about to just let that go. The political left is nothing if not predictable. They have, after all, been using the same playbook, well, legitimately centuries now. Uh, more than one century, uh, yeah. They go down the checklist until they find something that they believe will work, and then they run with it until either they win or the freedom-loving people of the world catch on, and they're forced to change tactics again. This is what they do. Sometimes it's a matter of employing more than one tactic at the same time. Demonize the other side. Okay, that one's in effect. Rebrand the current framework, hoping that the new name will deceive you into believing that it is something different. In other words... They think that we're all stupid. That brings us back to the B Corp. It is a way to promote all of the same virtue signaling of the high ESG score without any of the negative baggage from the now becoming out of favor acronym. Watch for the next several months, next several years, as this... Well, I, it's kind of hard to call something new that's been around since 2006. But this different term all of a sudden is the catchphrase. It's what gets pushed as something that all businesses should seek to be certified. B Corp certifications will become investment criteria for the Black Rocks of the investment world and will be embraced by the Green New Deal crowd. and. Why shouldn't it be? After all, it is just a different name for the same old song and dance. <sighs> Rebranding. That's where we're at. This uh, B Corp, you know, during the whole thing, it seems to me that as we've watched this movement into the realm of the B Corp, that... Even though it was actually being pushed well before we started hearing the terms ESG on a large scale, that it was meant to be the exact same thing. Because in order to get certified as a B Corp, you have to be still hitting all the same ESG scoring criteria. But now, there is a major push 
for companies and corporations to get their B Corp certification. This push is something that's being encouraged throughout Europe in particular, but you will start hearing that term here in the U.S. more and more frequently. And I promise you, if you ask around people in the business world, especially companies that are heavily invested in moving towards an, a high ESG score, they've already heard the term. Some of them may already be B Corp certified. Do not be surprised to find that out. Do not be surprised that you start hearing B Corp certification and start hearing less and less of ESG. That's because we're on to that one, and they know it. Some of them are going to try to hang on, they're going to try to cling, and they're going to try and pretend like it's not the same thing. It is. This is the rebranding. All right, let's go ahead and reset the hour, even though I'm about eight minutes into the new hour. Uh, we're still going to follow the basic, uh, you know, the basic format. On the other side, we will act as if we're just starting a brand new hour. Don't go anywhere. I will be right back. Hello, America. This is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap Tap into the Truth. They can say when, 
They can say how, and they can say why. They're different in your eyes. You know what else is different in uh, our eyes? The medical profession. It's certainly not what it used to be. And fortunately, the woke ideology of the past has taken over. And if you are going to be healthy now, you're going to have to take your health into your own hands. It's just that simple. That's one of the reasons why if you're worried about your heart, your memory, or swollen achy joints you should really take a look at our friends over at native path and their antarctic krill supplement uh, it literally could help put an end to issues with all three of those issues and even more it's been shown to support healthy blood pressure circulation brain health as well as reduce inflammation and swelling and joint pain and that's what it's really helped me with there's no better time to try it for yourself, which is something I always encourage you to do. Just go to FixSwollenFeet.com. Yes, they have changed back to their original uh, web address. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Not real sure what the motivation behind that is, but uh, you can visit that. The old one uh, that they switched to is still viable, still live, if you'd rather hit it. Uh, that's stopmyinflammation.com backslash T-A-P-P. You can try that one if you like, but it's going to offer you the same deals and it's still associated, uh, offering you special deals that is only out there for listeners of Tap Into the Truth. This krill oil is pure, it's effective, it's easily absorbed by the body, and it contains this omega-3 fatty oil that is so good for your body it helps to reduce inflammation and swelling it's worked wonders for me for a limited time you can get special pricing that's just available for listeners of this show so go visit fixswollenfeet.com or as i also said you can also visit stopmyinflammation.com backslash t-a-p-p but in truth, I think the fixswollenfeet.com is probably easier to remember. So, um, you know, check it out. See for yourself. I can't promise you that it'll work as well for you as it has for me, uh, or even in the ways that it will. But I can promise you, based on my results, it's certainly worth giving it a try. And please, give it a shot. I, I really can't tell you enough good things about it. Uh, for what it's done for me, how well it's worked. It's been phenomenal. My ankles and knees, worlds better. From my youth playing basketball and, and pushing my body past things that someone of my height should have been able to do, uh, the damage that I took, the miles that I put on those joints, uh, it has been nearly a miracle what it has done for my ankles and knees. And I've felt I'm starting to feel uh, things in other parts of my body, too, that I think I can also go ahead and offer that up as being a result from taking the uh, Native Path Antarctic Krill Oil. It's worth a shot. Uh, that much, I promise you. All right, let's, uh, let's get back to the show. 
Uh, right now, I've got two stories that I wanted to talk to you. It's it's a story of two mayors. Uh, oh, not only that, but two mayors in big cities in the state of California. Well, it's even more than that. It's the story of two mayors of two big cities in the state of California who are leftist, but are really starting to feel the pain of leftist policies and are starting to speak out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's start in Los Angeles, shall we? A little over two months ago, the Los Angeles City Council voted to officially become a sanctuary city in the sanctuary state of California. But now, the Los Angeles mayor, Karen Bass, a Democrat, is saying that illegal aliens aren't invited to the city of Los Angeles. You're not invited to be part of the city of angels. You're not invited to our sanctuary city. Uh, this, of course, in stark contrast to her prior statements. Bass is on the record multiple times talking about how they must be a sanctuary city, how she's proud to live in a sanctuary state, about how it is a defiance of our basic humanity to, to try to even slow down the flow of illegal migrants steaming across our southern border. All of that. Now, Bass's newfound opposition, well, that comes after Texas Governor Greg Abbott has spent months busing illegal migrants to L.A. You see, L.A. is not one of the communities in California that saw very much of the actual strain of all the illegals crossing the border. So it was up to Abbott and DeSantis and a few other conservative governors in various other red states that started offering free trips to destinations of their choice in places that had declared themselves to be sanctuaries. A lot of these migrants are taking them up on that offer. Los Angeles now is receiving a lot of folks that have illegally crossed into Texas. Quoting here from uh, Bass, who was talking to a local Fox affiliate, L.A. has not extended an invitation asking for people to come. This is a political act. Well, yeah. Yes, yes, it is a political act. I'm so glad that Mayor Bass understands this. I am so happy that she understands the basic premise that leaving our southern border open is a political act, and it is one that leads to the destruction of communities. It is one that leads to the destruction of culture. It's one that leads to the destruction of public safety. These are things that they were already struggling with in Los Angeles before the addition of those folks being transported from Texas into her own city. No, they haven't issued an invitation asking people to come, but I'm sorry, Mayor Bass, didn't you in fact declare previously Los Angeles to be a sanctuary within the sanctuary state of California? Weren't you happy about being, isn't that actually, even though it might be not necessarily be a formal invitation, isn't that still an invitation for these illegal migrants to cross your border? 
And again, I remind you, I insist on using the term migrant because immigrant really is a legal status and you can't illegally be part of a legal status. You can't illegally be an immigrant. You can only legally immigrate. You are migrating, which is, in this case, a criminal offense. It doesn't sound as harsh as alien. I'm not above using the term illegal alien. Uh, it is the actual appropriate legal term. But I think illegal migrant kind of fits the description better overall, since not all the migrants are bad people. They're just doing a bad thing by coming here illegally. But anyway, at first, Mayor Bass was receptive to the newcomers, and her Democratic colleagues rallied to prove Abbott wrong. Uh, L.A. would welcome these migrants, contrary to the Texas governor's gambit. Uh, yeah, and at first it's easy enough to be, but as I pointed out, before, as I pointed out relatively recently in a new article, it's a lot easier to virtue signal on the topic than to actually live the virtue itself of being open. There are several communities and neighborhoods in New York right now that are learning the hard way that it's so much easier to virtue signal about being a sanctuary city than it is to actually put up with more numbers of these migrants than you have resources to allocate to them. This is a small taste of the problem that lots of border towns have been dealing with for a very long time on a much larger scale, towns that with much fewer and much less resources than places like New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco, all just to name a few. But they were determined at first. Those buses came in and they were all like, well, welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, quoting uh, from Bass back in June, Los Angeles is not a city motivated by hate or fear, and we absolutely will not be swayed or moved by petty politicians playing with human lives. Ah, uh, she thought she was really sticking it to old Governor Abbott. She continued by saying, We are a city that seeks to treat all people with dignity and compassion, and... We will continue to work closely with nonprofit organizations, including the Los Angeles Welcomes Collective, as well as with our county, state, and federal partners. L.A. Council Member uh, Hernandez even said point blank that Abbott's actions were the motivating factor behind fighting for sanctuary status and one that welcomes all people. So thank you, Governor Abbott, for having a direct impact on politics within the city of Los Angeles. Quoting Hernandez a bit more, these dangerous actions from far-right, weak-minded politicians who rely on stunts instead of actual leadership are exactly why we're fighting to make L.A. a sanctuary city. L.A. was built by immigrants, and it thrives because of immigrants. We will continue to be a place that values and dignifies all human life, no matter who they are or where they come from. Oh, pretty words. 
very pretty words. Nice, nice signal. It does, to me, though, I, I will point out, again, sound an awful lot like an open invitation, right? I mean, uh, we, we fought for this so that we can welcome all these people in, and you don't even have to be coming from Texas. You know, you don't have to be a governor, abbot, uh, bus riding attendee. Just come on, we fought for this. That It does sound like that, right? I, that's not just me, is it? You, you guys feel the same way? You, you, you're hearing the same thing? You, you, I, I trust that's not just me? Anyway, on June 9th, the L.A. Council officially passed an ordinance granting Hernandez's request. So now, all they're waiting on is to officially become a sanctuary. Uh, it's effectively some paperwork. That's all that's the difference. Their official refusal to follow federal immigration law. They're official paperwork stating that they are, in fact, engaging in the constitutional principle of nullification. Now, I have argued in the past that nullification is appropriate when it comes to federal government overreach. I'm not so confident that nullification is appropriate when it has something to do, or anything at all to do, with something that the federal government indeed does have constitutional authority to be engaged in. And immigration does fall into one of those categories. But whether I agree with that or not, the fact that multiple locations, multiple jurisdictions have engaged in that nullification and Nobody has taken it to court to the point to try to make the determination about my legal theory on the matter. Uh, we just see sanctuary status being popped up in multiple places. And remember, Los Angeles has been a bit of a sanctuary for a while anyway. They just haven't made it official through the paperwork. So it's just a matter of paperwork for them. It does seem, however, that Mayor... Bass had better put the kibosh on it, or she can expect a lot more illegal aliens to arrive. She can join the GOP, though, and pressure federally elected Democrats to finally secure the border. I, that's also an option. Uh, it's a choice that's hers. I don't see her doing the latter. I could see her trying to... to get the council to take a different route. I mean, she is already at the point where Karen Bass is saying that these illegal migrants, these illegal aliens, that they're just, they're not invited to the City of Angels. They're not welcome here anymore. It's not even a matter of hypocrisy, although you can make a strong case for it. It's not a matter of abandoning your principles, although I would make the argument that when it comes to the left, there's really not a whole lot in the realm of principle that's involved in play here. But what I would say 
is this does fall into the category of practicality. You see, right now in Los Angeles, certain communities that are accustomed to not being touched by crime in the same level, certain communities in Los Angeles that aren't accustomed to seeing vagrancy and seeing homeless camps are now starting to see that as well. You're starting to see businesses in large numbers evacuate the state of California, and that certainly includes the city of Los Angeles. As resources continue to dwindle, the more resources that you use to accommodate these folks, there's less that's available for the actual citizens. And there's a certain privilege involved with living in a city like Los Angeles, it, again, at least in certain neighborhoods. And when those members of the community are no longer happy, they're no longer satisfied, there's a lot of elected officials that suddenly find themselves unable to get reelected. So even though the general philosophy, the general mindset of wanting to welcome, wanting to be a sanctuary for all those who are willing to so cavalierly disregard our laws, many of which who are coming here are actual criminals where they're coming from, and they're not looking to escape any kind of political uh, discrimination or uh, political abuse. They're actually coming here to try to escape potential incarceration. And again, it's not all. I recognize that. I'm not trying to say that they all are. But they are still all violating U.S. law by crossing our border illegally. People that are encouraging them to abuse our asylum system are also violating the law. Uh, the federal government, in offering up even a hearing on asylum, are violating the actual federal statutes because if you don't come through a legal port of entry, you're not eligible to seek asylum. If you don't Seek asylum in the first country you come to when escaping the country you're trying to get asylum away from, you're not eligible for asylum. There are so many things that are on the books that are just completely ignored now because they're allowed to ignore it. That is in violation of federal U.S. immigration law that has almost become forgotten. It's almost as if, well, you know, we just kind of let a judge decide one time we could do this and nobody's challenged it since because we don't really want to take the time or effort and besides that how do you decide who has standing i also wrote an article about uh, standing being a arcane idea at this point uh, i'll put a link in the show description to that as well if you'd like to to read it i'll probably go ahead and give you the link to your news, which is who published that one as well. Anyway, that's where we're at in Los Angeles. Going to take the mid-hour break, and after the mid-hour break, we're going to talk about another California city that is having to diverge away from leftist policies, again, for a very similar reason, practicality. Before we do that, though, I want to take an opportunity to go ahead and remind you about our friends over at 4Patriots. 4Patriots uh, has literally everything you would need to help you to survive 
an extended period of time of civil unrest or just the power grid being down for any extended period of time. Uh, whether you're looking for backup electricity that can keep the bare minimum necessities that you've got to keep going operational, they got plenty of stuff that'll do that without making a lot of noise, thereby attracting attention of people you don't want to attract attention from, or without putting you at risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, those are two very serious things to keep in mind whenever you're dealing with the generator. Uh, they've also got some great emergency survival food kits that don't just give you the bare minimum number of calories to survive, but actually let you enjoy the food while you do it. Some pretty good stuff. Again, don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Go over to fourpatriots.com and once you're there, you're going to start putting stuff in that shopping cart. And when you decide to check out at the end, be sure to use promo code TAP. That's T-A-P-P. -P. Save yourself 10% at uh, checkout. In the age of Bidenomics, who can afford not to take advantage of savings? So again, that's the number four, patriots.com. Use promo code TAP, T-A-P-P. -P. Save yourself 10% and be ready for whatever comes next. This is Kathy Barnett, the National Grassroots Director for the Vivek 2024 Presidential Campaign, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. According to popular legend, founding father John Hancock signed his name in huge letters to the Declaration of Independence so King George could read it without spectacles. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. In the fight for liberty today, many so-called conservatives in the legislative branch have often either chosen to either give up or give lip service without following up with physical service on behalf of our unalienable rights including the right to defend oneself, their family, or property. Many Republicans went AWOL during the successful Trump presidency. They wanted to compromise with the Democrats, whose overall mission is to literally destroy our republic to the point of no return to greatness. Through the years, Republican individuals like Trey Gowdy said the right things, but were useless in the effort to stem the tide against tyranny. Even worse were individuals like Liz Cheney, whose globalist leanings prompted her to join Democrats in spreading a malicious lie accusing Russian dictator Vladimir Putin of paying Taliban terrorists to seek and destroy U.S. soldiers. Mm. For the good of the republic, legislators who refuse to govern according to constitutional mandates should be permanently banned from public office. What say you? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Second Skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. With an estimated 2.8 million Americans sustaining a traumatic brain injury each year and a half a million children being treated in the ER each year for a head injury, there have been recent declines in athletic participation levels. We believe that concerns and fears of head injuries are factors contributing to these declines in activity levels. 
Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. Our product line of thin, lightweight, breathable, and practical solutions are each tested at independent and accredited laboratories. These products are patented and proven. When I invented my pillow, my passion was to help each and every one of you. And 20 years later, all of your support is what keeps us going. Because of you, we've been able to create thousands of USA jobs and help millions get the best sleep ever. To thank you, my employees and I are bringing you a limited edition my pillow. The Giza Elegance My Pillow is made with my patented adjustable fill, the most amazing cotton, and a two-inch pipe gusset. It has four custom loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and you get my 60-day money-back guarantee and 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code TAPP or call 1-800-659-9936. That's MyPillow.com with promo code TAPP. Use your promo code to get your limited edition 20th anniversary MyPillow queen size. Retails for $69.98, now only $19.98. That's right, get a queen size MyPillow for only $19.98. From all of us here at MyPillow, Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to BlueEdgeCoffeeCrafters.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 10% discount. Remember... Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. In just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. While also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. Hi, this is Rod Eccles, and you're listening to Tap Into the Truth with Tim Tapp. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so much for staying with me through that uh, 
bit of a break. I'm just taking a, a little bit of a break. Now, I'm going to have to go ahead and try to hit you up with two uh, two mentions of sponsors back-to-back -back so that we can make sure we get them all in. I know our friends at Native Path, technically, I didn't sneak in in the first hour, uh, although it was through the extended period, so we'll mention them twice. But before I talk about Native Path, need to remind you about our friends over at Vanish Holsters. Vanish Holsters, I, they're a phenomenal product. I am really enjoying the holster myself. It really is everything these guys say it is. I am now one of the thousands of their customers that tells you that it is very very comfortable and it works just as advertised and in case you're wondering that means that it does in fact work with almost all semi-automatic handguns it is designed to hold two magazines so if quick uh, reloads are what you need to do you've got it right there in the holster it is designed to work without a tactical belt so that's one of those little things, whether you had a, a full-blown tactical harness or just a tactical belt, uh, you don't have to worry about that now. And that's one of those hidden expenses you might not have thought about very much before uh, picking out a holster. And beyond that, it lets you carry in multiple positions. I've tried two or three, and I've actually found a position that I like better than my normal carry. And so that has put us in a very, very unique position it's phenomenal. That's the unique position. Uh, but again, don't take my word for it. You really got to go check it out for yourself. So visit them over at www.vnsh.com backslash T-A-P-P. Now you want to make sure you include the backslash T-A-P-P because that will automatically activate for you a $50 discount as long as you go visit them before the end of August. I am still trying to get them to extend beyond August, but they've already extended it twice. I don't know how much longer that'll be. Don't know what the discount situation will look like after August, so please don't hesitate. If if you've been listening and putting off, just don't do it anymore. Uh, take full advantage of the $50 while it is guaranteed. Do it by the end of August, and it, that is coming up really, really soon. Don't hesitate. That's www.vnsh.com backslash T-A-P-P. -P. Uh, go do it now, and you can have it on its way to you before the end of the show. Uh, that is something you need to look at. Now, the other thing we need to talk about is our friends over at Native Path again. Native Path right now is offering up a Antarctic krill oil supplement that is phenomenal. It really, really works extremely well. You need to make sure that you give it a try. If you're worried about your heart, your memory, or swollen, achy joints like I was, their krill oil supplement, it can help put an end to issues with all three of those. It's been shown to support healthy blood pressure, circulation, brain health, as well as reduce inflammation, swelling, and joint pain. And I can't tell you how much it has helped me with that. Uh, there just aren't enough words and certainly not enough time. There's no better time to try it for yourself, though. Just go to FixSwollenFeet.com. Get yourself 58% off the Native Path Antarctic Krill Oil regular price. Something that only listeners of this show can take advantage of. 
That krill oil is pure, it's effective, and it's easily absorbed by the body. It contains the omega-3 fatty acid that helps reduce inflammation and swelling throughout the body. For a limited time, you can grab Native Path Antarctic Krill Oil for as low as $23 a bottle. Please go take advantage of it. Just go to FixSwollenFeet.com, or you still can use, if you like, but I would suggest the other, Visit stopmyinflammation.com backslash T-A-P-P. You do that, you can learn more about the special offers that's just being made available to tap into the truth listeners. You can still use that one, but I recommend just using the easier one to remember, fixswollenfeet.com. I'm still going to chuckle a bit at that one because I think that's kind of a a funny name. But anyway... uh, Take advantage of it while you can. It's a fantastic product. It's worked wonders for me. And while I can't guarantee you that it's going to work for you the same way that it has for me, what I can tell you is that what it has done has been near miracle status for me. So I I can't recommend them enough. And the only thing I can tell you is that regardless of whether it does or doesn't, it's definitely worth the try. So take my word for it on this one instance, but then don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. One more time, fixswollenfeet.com. Okay, now I got one more story for you before we uh, shimmer off into the rest of uh, the brand new week. And this is the story of London Breed, current mayor of the formerly great city of San Francisco. See, Breed joined more than 200 protesters who gathered this past Wednesday outside of a federal courthouse to call for an end to a federal restriction on the city's ability to clear homeless encampments. Yes, that's right. We're giving up sanctuary status in Los Angeles, or at least they want to. And in San Francisco, they finally realized that the homeless encampments are a bigger problem than homelessness itself. Uh, Quoting here, It is not humane to let people live on our streets in tents and use drugs. Wow, I'm going to stop the quote for a second and ask, where have we heard that from before? That sounds so familiar for some reason. And, And not just because I've said it a bunch of times, there's a lot of people that have been strangely enough, mostly conservatives, that have been saying for some time that it really isn't very humane, despite the supposed excuse that it's an act of compassion to let them. Wrong. And finally, the left's starting to figure that out. But anyway, let me get back to Mayor Breed's statement. It's not humane to let people live on our streets in tents and use drugs. We've found dead bodies. We've found dead babies in these tents. We have seen people in really awful conditions, and we are not standing for it anymore. (laughs) No, but they, Mayor Breed and other lefties like the good mayor, have indeed pushed the policies and created the policies and made the policies actual city policy and now federal policy that has created the situation in the first place. Now, she went on to say that, quote, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, Well, that describes a lot of us, and usually for very different reasons, but 
I'm glad she thinks that that's a, a message that will resonate with the citizens of her city. Continuing, the mayor also said, So the goal here is to make sure the Court of Appeals understands we want a reversal of this injunction that makes it possible for us to do our jobs. Okay, I'm going to take a second here, and I'm going to point out something that also should be familiar if you're a regular listener of this show, or if you listen to a lot of other conservatives over the past few years. You've certainly heard not necessarily exactly the same message, but something similar enough that the gist is the same. And that is, if you hadn't been interfering with the courts and trying to make them understand that you wanted something other than what the law says, then maybe you wouldn't be in this pickle in the first place. Because guess what? Allowing these public encampments of homeless people, creating essentially open drug markets and open criminality, if you hadn't started letting that occur in the first place, and talked about the humanity of it all, which it is not humane to let this happen, just as it's not humane to allow policies that encourage human trafficking across the southern border is an act of compassion either. It's you guys that created this issue. And by the way, you're not supposed to interfere with the courts. The courts are not supposed to take your feelings into account. You're supposed to make impassioned pleas to the legislatures, and then your chief executive, and then hopefully the court will side with the legality of whatever you propose, whatever you're trying to make a new law. The constitutionality, both at the state level or at the federal level, depending on where you're trying to push this law, that's how it's supposed to be. And then judges... They're supposed to sit, and if a case comes before them involving these policies, these various regulations, these efforts at creating a law, they then get to evaluate whether that law was actually legal in the first place. They're not supposed to take your feelings into account. They're supposed to take the Constitution, and then the laws that have been deemed to be constitutional into consideration. They're supposed to put their own personal feelings aside. They're certainly not supposed to take your feelings into effect. That's why it's illegal to protest in front of the homes of Supreme Court justices. That's why that law should have been enforced. Well, they're just uh, exercising their right to protest. They don't have a legal right to protest in front of the judge's house. The judge is not supposed to be swayed. The judges are not supposed to be under threat from the public or from a private source. They shouldn't be under any political pressure at all. They should be under the pressure of doing the job, which means finding a way to not let your personal feelings get in the way, finding a way not to let your personal interests get in the way, and then recusing yourself from the situation if you can't make that disconnect. So the fact that you're protesting in front of the Court of Appeals means that you still don't understand what the real root of the problem is, Mayor. You somehow now think that the problem is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The real problem was local politicians that put these policies 
into <coughs> excuse me into uh, an effect to, it treated it as if these policies could be ordinances and these ordinances could be laws and that you're going to be able to do these things forever but you found out when you allow this type of behavior to go unchecked only bad things happen that's the reason why cities previously had ordinances against it and if the court system was working the way it should have it would have never permitted you to allow it in the first place somebody withstanding would have eventually gotten in front of one of these judges and they would have had no choice but to find for the plaintiffs now the protesters in this particular protest are demanding an end to the federal judge's order banning san francisco from cleaning up homeless tent encampments unless the city has enough shelter beds for every homeless person. Now, that leads to an interesting situation. Because how do you determine if they have enough shelter beds? Because to this point, the activists have been claiming as long as there's anyone still on the street, then clearly you don't have enough beds. You don't have enough shelters for these people. But a point that now even Mayor Breed is trying to make, it doesn't take into account, but perhaps it should, the number of shelter beds that are available, that the homeless are being offered, but they're still refusing to take. And they're going to continue to refuse to take because it's a lot easier for them to do their illegal drugs on the streets. It's a lot easier for them to get away with their odd and unusual behavior, those that are suffering from mental problems. It's a lot easier for them to go under the radar and not have to actually get the type of psychiatric care that they probably should be getting. But as you know, that most people that are suffering from certain types of mental disorders, part of the problem is they don't recognize they have a problem. So they don't want the help. So where's your humanity for all these people? Leaving them on the streets was never an act of compassion, ever. It was an act to try to destroy the very core of the neighborhoods, of the communities, of families. The very things that the left must destroy in order for this state to be all-powerful. Inside the courthouse, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard arguments from the city's attorney asking the courts to throw out the temporary injunction, the one against cleaning up these encampments. The Coalition on Homelessness, which brought the lawsuit, argued that the restrictions on cleaning encampments should remain in place and accused the city of failing to provide adequate housing for San Francisco's homeless population. Now, these people are of the left. They are the same people that are working uh, on behalf of getting mayors like London Breed elected. They're the same people that are trying to move the agenda. The same people that I was writing about when I wrote an article. Why I, I seem to be referencing a lot of my writing today for some reason, so please forgive me. Uh, wrote a piece a few years back asking the basic question, are you advocating against homelessness or are you actually advocating for homelessness? The question was, are you advocating for the homeless or for homelessness? Because most of their policies are only going to encourage more homelessness, not encourage 
the homeless to get into better situations. This is the conundrum they find themselves in now because the practicality of the political reality on the city now puts these Democrats in danger of not being re-electable. It puts them in jeopardy of enough people with money and influence to maybe decide they want to support the other party for a while. It's this behavior that's finally making things bad enough in the state of California, particularly in some of the larger cities in the state of California, for them to start thinking, this has got to get fixed. No more excuses. We want California to look as good and be as safe as places like Florida and Tennessee. Anyway, attorneys for the city argued that the city has, in fact, offered housing to homeless residents, but they often refuse it. Like I said, they're making that same point now, a point that has been brought up here and on other shows as well. San Francisco's attorneys argued that the offer of housing should count towards the mandate to provide housing and request the injunction be listed. Said, hey, we've got housing available. We've got shelter beds available. It's not our fault if they won't take it. We don't have the legal authority to force them to do it. Here's a novel idea, something that often does encourage those shelter beds being used, is when you do go through and clean out these encampments. And they have legal grounds to sweep through them anyway, because there's tons of criminality ongoing, especially in the city of San Francisco. San Francisco's streets have become essentially either a large, gigantic toilet or open-air drug markets. Just depends on which street you're on. Once one of the most beautiful cities in the world, not just in our country, but in the world, it's now a place that if you don't live there, you probably should try to avoid it. And that's a shame. It's, it's almost as bad as looking at cities like Detroit that once was the cutting edge of technology and industry. And now multiple neighborhoods in Detroit looks worse today than... Big chunks of Hiroshima did right after we dropped a nuclear bomb on them. Wherever the left goes and coalesces and becomes the controlling factor, everything turns to crap. We have major cities in the United States in absolutely wonderful and beautiful states like California that should have a strong, vibrant economy, that should be among the cleanest and most cutting-edge technological advanced areas in the world that are operating as if they're third-world countries. There are, in fact, third-world countries that take a look at the conditions in certain parts of Los Angeles, and they laugh. It's like the left is on a one-track mission to turn the United States away from being the dreamed about most desired location for anyone in any other part of the world to go to, to being less than wherever they're actually from. 
Is this your answer to illegal immigration, actually? Your answer to illegal migration is to just eventually make it worse here than it is wherever they're trying to escape from? Uh, that's not a solution that's going to work for me. I don't think it ought to work for a majority of American citizens. And again, the fact that so much of this has been done in the name of compassion should tell you that these people like using words like compassion. They like taking advantage of the fact that most Americans are, in fact, compassionate, regardless of their political philosophy. They like to take advantage of the fact that most Americans are extremely generous, even beyond the point that they should be, sometimes willing to give more than they actually can afford, that they actually have available to give. And they will do this because they see somebody that, in their mind, is in worse shape than they are. This is something that has always helped to set the United States of America apart from almost any other place on the planet. It's not our government. It's not even our Constitution, which is phenomenal and should be held dear in the hearts of all citizens. But it is the people that live here that embrace what it means to be an American. They want this injunction lifted, but it's policies that they themselves had put in place. And then when it started becoming a practical matter, the city simply couldn't continue to do it. Activists intervened, and they sought an injunction in federal court. Now they're trying to get the injunction overturned, and they feel like they don't have the authority. Well, here's a quick question for you, Mayor. And I'm going to put this out there for all you lefties. Since you are so very quick to practice the constitutional principle of nullification when it comes to ideas like sanctuary city status. Why not practice nullification here? What authority does that federal court actually have over you and your municipality? You may find it to be surprisingly small from a constitutional standpoint. Now, I know the left has to be very delicate in how they fight with the federal government, because the left really, really wants you to believe in the concept of centralized planning, which requires a strong federal government. It requires a federal government that's no longer hindered by such limiting factors as the Constitution. It requires you to be enslaved to them, the ultimate end goal. That's what it requires. So nullification is generally only used when it's something that helps to weaken the federal government when it comes to something that would strengthen local communities. In a case like this, well, this weakens the local communities, and it allows the federal government to look stronger in the name of compassion. As we've already established, it's exactly the opposite thereof, as it's just about everything the federal government does. So... What are we really talking about? We're asking the question, Mayor Breed, why are you fighting the legal battle in court when you simply can still pass a new ordinance and clean up these homeless encampments and challenge the federal authorities to try to stop you? Because ultimately that's what would have to happen, right? Now, Breed continued while she was there. She said, quoting again, 
I get that people suffer from mental illness. I get that they suffer from addiction. And I know that those things are complicated. But if we have a place for people to move, you should not be forced to just allow people to be on the sidewalks. Now, this particular issue has been in front of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals several times. Before I go any further with that, I want to address that part of her statement. She gets that people suffer from mental illness. Yes, they do. But it has been the left primarily that has worked really hard to help reduce the amount of available help for mental health uh, sufferers. And they turn around and blame it on conservatives, but it's been mostly uh, people of the left who've done that across the country, reduced the amount of clinics, made it difficult for mental health facilities to operate. Why? Because there's a certain group of them, a certain number that want the crazies on the streets, don't want them off the streets for their own nefarious reasons. And they've managed to convince a lot of other people that lean to the left that it's an act of compassion to give them their freedom. They're seeing firsthand now that it's not compassionate and it is starting to affect their lives directly. And that's when you really get their attention. Ms. Mayor Breed also said that she knows that these, there are people that suffer from addiction. And that's a terrible tragedy, too. It really is. She also said that she knows these things are complicated, and here's where she should have said one more thing, but then she would have sounded way too much like a conservative. These things are complicated, but it's not the role of government at any level of government, not city, not county, not state, not federal, to sort through the complications of addiction. It is their role, if they have any at all, to keep the streets safe. To keep criminality off the streets. And if you're suffering from addiction, while we can have compassion for your position and understand that very good people can do very bad things sometimes and that very smart people can do very dumb things sometimes, we understand it's complicated, but we also understand that your rights to be overlooked, uh, to receive compassion, that pretty much ends at where my right begins to not have to deal with your bovine excrement on the street, or in the case of San Francisco and a few other American cities run by the left, human excrement on the street. I shouldn't have to deal with that, no matter how complicated your situation is. You don't have the right to go out onto the streets and make things more dangerous for everyone else that lives around you. Your rights end where my rights begin and vice versa. I have a right to say and think and do what I want to within the law. You have a right to say and do and think the things you want to within the law. And then you do not have the right to step outside of the law, which includes in almost every municipality across this country, creating homeless encampments. But even if that is technically allowed, I can guarantee you that open-air drug markets are not. And that's what most of these have become. So yes, it's complicated and we feel bad for them, but it's not the government's problem. It's not my problem that you have an addiction unless you make it my problem. And that just means that the law should be involved even more at dealing with your issue. Because you went and made it someone else's problem. Now, if you are staying off to yourself and nobody else is being affected, then, hey, 
then your problem is your problem. It stays that way. And there should probably be very little interference at all, except by the people that love you and want you to get better and get you off of it. And that's up to them to do. And again, it's complicated. But this part of it isn't. It shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed to just openly occur on the streets. You should not have to go into these encampments and find dead bodies. People who have overdosed or people that were there with their small children. They died and were dead long enough that nobody realized that the small children died too because there was nobody there to take care of them. That is the opposite of compassion. That is inhumanity. That is monstrous behavior. And the fact that they have to go to the, to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals means that it was people on the left in the name of compassion that created this monstrosity. That is, after all, the thing that's kind of tying all of today's topics together, except, of course, for the rebranding of ESG. Back in July, the appeals court denied the West Coast cities, and we're not just talking about California here, the ability to remove homeless people from the streets unless they can provide enough shelter for all of them. The court declined to rehear a case involving the Oregon city of Grants Pass. That meant that a lower court's ruling from July of 2020 against the city remained in effect. In the Oregon City case, the lower court ruled that the city ordinances and fines against homeless people that were camping in public areas violated the Eighth Amendment. It's the amendment that prohibits excessive punishments. That somehow writing them a ticket, issuing fines was a violation. And I'm sorry, first of all, that doesn't apply here because we're talking about a city ordinance, not a federal law. And also, the idea of writing the fines, they very rarely expected the fines to be paid. It was designed to make them move along and either take advantage of the actual help that was available in shelters or to go find someplace else to camp. Either one is acceptable. You want to go live off the grid, you want to go uh, camp somewhere, then do it somewhere where it's legal to do it. Do not pitch your tent in the middle of Main Street in front of the local Starbucks. While Starbucks probably wouldn't raise a stink about it at the corporate level, the uh, individual store manager is going to get pissed when all of a sudden all the business goes away because nobody wants to walk past the three homeless people that are now setting up their uh, sleeping bags at the entrance. And unfortunately, if you're living anywhere on the West Coast, thanks to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, you can't even ask them to leave. Does that seem right to you? I mean, forget about the business aspect. I, I obviously don't care if every Starbucks in the country closes its doors. Feel bad for the people that were counting on it for, as their jobs, but I'm pretty sure if you can get a job working for Starbucks, you can probably get a job working just about anywhere else. You'll find similar jobs. But Starbucks as a company, just like Ben & Jerry's, has on a multitude of occasions made it very clear that they lean to the left. They embrace this kind of thing. And now they're having to deal with the consequences. Uh, things that evidently it didn't occur to them might eventually catch up to them. 
San Francisco has been in the middle of a homelessness crisis for years now. And it's one that really, really got a lot worse right before the pandemic started. The whole COVID disaster really uh, exacerbated it, but they saw a spike that was beginning before all the COVID lockdowns went into effect. About 38,000 people are homeless in the Bay Area on any given night, or unhoused, as they like to say out there. Now, that's a number that is up uh, right about 35% from their numbers back in 2019. More than 7,000 people are homeless in San Francisco proper. Crime, open-air drug use, uh, these things are stuff that accompanies the homelessness issue uh, undeniably. It's causing businesses to flee San Francisco's downtown where foot traffic, well, we'll just say it's thinned a bit and understand that if this was a Monty Python skit, that would be getting an awful lot of uh, laughs because that's such an underrated descriptor. The drug crisis is still raging on, although Overdose deaths have actually dropped just a little bit from their all-time high back in 2020 during the thick of the uh, the COVID lockdowns. In 2022, San Francisco saw 620 fatal drug overdoses, down from that uh, number of 640 in 2021, and down even more from that 2020 all-time uh, record of 725. But is that something to celebrate? 620, yeah, that's better than the 725. It's better than the 640. It, it is. But 620 is still pretty daggum high. That's not a whole lot different than Joe Biden running around giving himself a high five about inflation only being at about 2.5%. Only being at about 3%, only being at about 4%, you know, because of those record highs when it was over 9 and 10 and 12%. Only we're ignoring the fact that inflation is still existing at all on top of those other record highs. That means inflation is still a problem and it's only getting worse and people are still feeling it. You're not, until you start getting deflation, uh, it's still a problem. Here, the numbers are going down, yes, thankfully. Back down by nearly 100, a little more than 100. But isn't that still way too many fatal drug overdoses among the homeless that you're finding? Because, again, that's the other part of this discussion, too. We're talking about that they've discovered, that they found, that are in these encampments that nobody's moved or, or tried to hide. It's utterly ridiculous. And it's all a direct result from the leftist policies that were put in place by some of these very same people. So what do you say at this point? Practicality is starting to wake these people up, but it's not doing enough. It's just not.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to have to be it. I have obviously run a bit longer than usual, but hey, it's the Sunday show, and I hope you appreciate me spending a little extra time with you. As always, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, using your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. I uh, hope to see you guys again on Tuesday and definitely do not miss the Friday Night Live show. Uh, tune in live over at K-Star Talk Radio or ZMA Radio or obviously the newest member, LibertyTalkFM.com uh, or uh, just visit TheLastFrequency.com or if you're in the downtown Columbia, South Carolina area, tune in to WCET-FM and uh, check out the show live. On Fridays, we start at 7 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we've got some great guests lined up again. And, uh, you know, I guess that's it. Have a great upcoming week, everybody. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk. Carjacking old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face. Stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think it's tough. Try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road Using both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Amin, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands 
is using both hands. Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.